Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday as well. As happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate, or if you don't, today a lot of us are off work, and I hope you have a good one, whatever you're celebrating. So we are gathered here today because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, and others. So thank you so much for submitting. And unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record, this is unscripted and I don't read the articles past the headlines so you and I can react together. Let's go. Our first article um, was sent to me. Well, the article wasn't sent to me. Okay, so a link to a YouTube video news kind of thing was sent to me, which I'm not going, I don't have time to transcribe all of that. So I just looked up a news article, but it was suggested to me by a listener. So thank you so much. But my source comes from the NewYorkPost.com title reads, Akron Police Rescue Woman from Serial Kidnapper in Shocking Body Cam Video. A serial kidnapper allegedly abducted a woman, beat her with a baseball bat, poured gasoline on her, and threatened to light her on fire while holding her captive in a detached garage for days, police said. Akron police surrounded the shed in Kenmore, Ohio, October 16th, with guns drawn and yelled for William Mozingo to come out with his hands empty and in the air, newly released body cam video shows. As he was cuffed, other officers went inside the garage and used a ladder to help Chloe Jones, 23, climb down from a partially hidden hole in the ceiling. Jones and Mozingo were acquaintances, according to police, who said Mozingo abducted her after offering her a ride home in October. But instead of taking her home, he allegedly drove her to an outdoor shed, where he kept her locked up for days until he was discovered by the garage's owner, who called the police. Quote, she was tied up, doused with gasoline and threatened to be lit on fire, her mom wrote on GoFundMe. Quote, Chloe was beat from head to toe with a baseball bat and fists. She was held at knife point dozens of times and threatened to have her throat slit. Here's a picture of the guy. Uh, he looks kind of scary to me. <clears throat> Quote, she was forced to urinate on herself as she wasn't afforded bathroom breaks. My daughter was choked multiple times, all while being told if she passed out, he would cut her throat. He wanted her awake and fully able to comprehend everything he was doing to her. Jones told Fox 8 the thought of her son kept her alive. Quote, I thought about him every day. I just saw his face in my head every day, she said. And Mazingo allegedly used that against her. She told the local news outlet he taunted her with the idea of never seeing her son again. Quote, it was terrifying, she said, being in fear of your life countless times. I can't even count how many times he threatened my life. Mazingo was arrested and charged with assault, unlawful restraint, kidnapping, abduction, parole violation, and escape. 
What I'm not seeing here is rape. So I'm kind of hoping maybe he didn't do that to her. Uh, he's being held in Summit County Jail on a $100,000 bond, according to jail records. That seems low. Mazingo has a lengthy rap sheet that includes prison time for abduction in 2011, 14, and 19. He also held a woman at knife point in a Walmart bathroom in 2017, according to records. You have got to be kidding me. What is going on that he has, he's just freed to continue to do this stuff is insane to me. During the most recent attack in 2019, he kidnapped his ex-girlfriend, beat her and left her unconscious and undressed in his Canton, Ohio home. He served 18 months in prison before he was released on parole, according to doc, no, I'm sorry, court records. Quote, there was no reason why this man should have been out on the streets, Jones's mother wrote in the GoFundMe post. Quote, he has proven time and time again that he will offend again. They knew he was going to take another victim and the justice system did nothing to prevent it. End quote. I usually don't kind of go against authorities on certain things. Well, it's not really like the police's fault or anything, but I am kind of agreeing with her that he should not have been out on the streets. You let me know what you think. Akron Police Captain Michael Miller referred questions about why Mazingo was on the loose to corrections. The Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction didn't immediately respond to questions. No, because they don't have any way to defend themselves. But Miller said in an emailed statement, law enforcement remains committed to the endless work of making the city of Akron safer for all. Quote, we are pleased to have played a small role in helping this victim in this particular situation and wish her all the best in her healing and recovery. End quote. That is the end of the article. That is ridiculous. He absolutely should not have been out. Okay, so our next article was also sent to me, actually by a friend and listener, so thank you so much. Um, the site is valleybreeze.com, and the title reads, Investigation Ongoing into Killing of North Providence Woman. Coming out of North Providence, a Rhode Island. Police say they're continuing their investigation into the apparent murder of a 61-year-old woman in her home at 30 Centerdale Centradale Avenue. North Providence officers were dispatched to the home to check on the well-being of the homeowner. Upon arrival, they found a dead woman on the living room floor, and she was later identified as Claire Flynn. The Rhode Island Medical Examiner's Office was contacted and retrieved the body. On December 21st, the medical examiner conducted an autopsy and immediately suspected Flynn's death a homicide. The cause of death was a single bullet wound. The office of the Rhode Island Attorney General was contacted according to protocol and a joint investigation is now happening. Investigators seized numerous pieces of evidence from the crime scene and will thoroughly be going through them. This investigation is ongoing. Quote, there are no new updates at this time, said Chief Alfredo Ruggiero Jr., probably mispronounced that, on Saturday morning. 
The town's tax assessor database shows the 960-square-foot ranch home as being owned by Flynn. It is listed as last being purchased in June of 2009. 960 square feet is pretty small, I think. Anyway, I certainly hope they find out what happened to her, catch whoever did it to her if it was not a suicide. So, blessings. And our next article comes from WXII12.com, and the title reads, Five-year-old boy's remains identified 20 years later, new charges could be sought in case. So where is this out of? Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Okay. So the remains of a five-year-old boy who disappeared 20 years ago have been identified. The Carroll County Sheriff's Office said the boy, Logan Nathaniel Bowman, disappeared in January of 2003. Investigators said on September 6, 2022, they discovered remains in the area of Iron Ridge Road in Galax, Virginia. They said the remains were there for an extended period of time. The Sheriff's Office reached out to a private company in Texas that specializes in forensic-grade genome sequencing and forensic genetic genealogy to help identify the boy. They discovered two direct DNA comparisons of family members to identify him. Investigators said in 2003, Logan's biological mother, Cynthia Davis, and her then-boyfriend, Dennis Shermerhorn, were charged in connection with his disappearance. The sheriff's office said the investigation is ongoing, but they do anticipate new charges. The remains had been there for quite some time, right? I don't remember. Did they say that there was what they thought? I'm scanning. I'm sorry. Nope. It doesn't say what they think. It just says his remains were found. We don't know how he died. I really, really don't like it when people mess with kids. I'm just saying. Okay, this is going to be a Monday morning murder in the news filled with ones that were sent to me, I think. This one was also sent to me by a listener. comes from cbsnews.com. Title reads, Remains of Green River Killer Victim Identified as Runaway 15-Year-Old Lori Ann Ratspotnik. Ratspotnik. A victim of the Green River Killer, who, by the way, I'm sure they'll say later in this article, but it's Gary Ridgeway. Uh, was identified nearly four decades after her body was found. Two sets of human remains were found in Auburn, Washington, along a steep embankment in 1985, according to a news release from the King County Sheriff's Office. At the time, the remains were investigated by the Green River Task Force, set up to investigate a series of bodies found dumped in the woods along the Green River in Washington State in the early 1980s. The sets were identified as Bones 16 and Bones 17, the sheriff's office said. In 2002, the Green River killer, Gary Ridgway, yep, led officials to the location and said he had placed victims there. He pleaded guilty to the murders of those two victims as well as 46 other women and girls in 2003. 46, guys. In 2012, the set of remains known as Bones 16 was identified through DNA testing as Sandra Majors. 
It wasn't until this week that investigators were able to conclude that Bones 17 were the remains of Lori Ann Ratspotnik, a 15-year-old who had run away from home in 1982. She had lived in Lewis County, about 75 miles away from Auburn. She was a beautiful girl. She almost looks like she might have been a redhead, like a strawberry blonde redhead. Gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Investigators worked with Parabon Nanolabs to use forensic genetic genealogy testing on the remains. The lab was able to develop a new DNA profile. Ratspotnik's mother provided a saliva sample to detectives and the University of North Texas carried out DNA comparison testing, which confirmed that they were Lori Ann's remains, the sheriff's office said. Ridgeway's first murder victims were found in 1982, and Ridgeway was arrested in 2001. In 2003, Ridgeway agreed to plead guilty to all murders that he had committed in King County to avoid the death penalty. Ridgeway pleaded guilty to 48 counts of aggravated murder in the first degree, according to Kings County, and remains imprisoned for life without a chance of release at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. Two victims remain unidentified. Though Ridgeway admitted to their murders, he could not supply any significant information that would assist in their identification. The county also said there are three women, Cassie Ann Lee, Kelly K. McGinnis, and Patricia Ann Osborne, who were last seen in the Seattle area in the early 1980s. They remain missing today and are listed on the official Green River Homicides list, but Ridgeway was not charged in their disappearances. The county noted that authorities are also looking for these three missing women, one of whom is unidentified, who have been missing since the early 1980s. One of the women was an associate of Tammy Lyles, another victim of Ridgeway's. Police have asked that anyone with information about these women or any other crimes linked to the Green River case to contact them. So they are still identifying Gary's victims. For someone with an IQ barely above 80, it is absolutely amazing to me that he was able to do what he did for so long and have so many victims. But I think a little more on that later. Hmm, hmm, hint, hint. Our next article, I can't remember if someone sent to me, sent this one to me or not. So if you did and I didn't give you credit, I apologize. This one comes from mypanhandle.com. Title reads, Body found wrapped in chains at the bottom of Kentucky Lake in 1999, ID'd as fugitive. So, out of Mayfield, Kentucky. A body discovered nearly 25 years ago at the bottom of a Kentucky lake has been identified thanks to the help of DNA technology. On May 6, 1999, two fishermen found human remains in Kentucky's Lake Barkley. State police said that the remains were wrapped in heavy tire chains and anchored by a hydraulic jack. Wow. Quote, at the time, investigators were unable to identify the male using traditional investigative techniques. The body was exhumed in 2016 and examiners exhausted their options for identification. A profile was entered into the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, or NamUs. 
In early 2023, Kentucky State Police said it began a partnership with Othram, Inc., a private forensic lab that specializes in forensic genealogy. Through advanced DNA testing, a relative of the unidentified person was located, which allowed investigators to identify the remains as those of Roger Dale Parham. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He looks normal, average. Quote, in 1999, Parham was residing in Fort Smith, Arkansas. At that time, Parham was waiting, awaiting trial on various criminal charges. In March of 1999, Parham disappeared and was thought to have left the area in an effort to flee prosecution, which I think all of us would have thought. The FBI obtained additional charges for Mr. Parham and conducted an ongoing investigation into his whereabouts. Until now, Parham's disappearance remained a mystery. End quote. Now, Parham was arrested on November 21st, 1998, on charges of rape involving a minor. He was released on bond but did not appear for his court date. KSP said Parham's cause of death has yet to be determined. However, Due to the circumstances in which he was found, the case is being investigated as a as a homicide. And I just think that that's like kind of a big, well, duh moment. I mean, would he wrap himself up in tire chains and shit? Come on. Anyone who has information regarding the death of Parham is urged to call Kentucky State Police Post 1 in Mayfield at 270-856-3721. Tips can also be submitted by accessing the Kentucky State Police website. So if, you know, on the off chance, one of you knows something, then rewind this and call that number or get on their website. So there you go. All right. Our next article was also sent to me by a listener. Thank you so much. And it is from the FoxSanAntonio.com, Fox S.A. Puro San Antonio The title reads, Man decapitates his mom, lays nude on her headless body, screaming and singing, Jesus loves me. This isn't meant to be funny. It's not funny at all, but I have a feeling I'm going to laugh because my humor is that dark. Okay, Ocean City, New Jersey. A bizarre and gruesome tragedy played out when police got a 911 call from a man who told the dispatcher, quote, he was bipolar and had just killed his mother, end quote. That's from Jeffrey Surgent's arrest report late Friday afternoon in New Jersey and surveillance video shows what happened. Oh, God. Officers found Surgent nude in the hallway, lying on top of a headless body. The head was located several feet away in the same hallway. Patrol placed Jeffrey Surgeon in handcuffs and the apartment was cleared for safety. Then as police took him away, quote, Surgeon screamed over and over that he had killed his mother and he was sorry. He then began to sing, Jesus loves me. 
The victim was identified as his 74-year-old mother, Alexandri Sergeant. Alexandri, yeah. Police described Jeffrey as being covered in blood, and they reported getting surveillance video of the incident from the hallway. No. This is how they described it. Okay, hang on. I'm sitting like crisscross applesauce, and I gotta, I'm going to have to reposition for this. All right. So this is how they described it. Quote, initially, you can see a head come out of the apartment at a high rate of speed. The head hits the wall and rolls to where it was found. A short time later, Jeffrey is seen peeking out from the apartment, then pulling his mother's body into the hallway. He is nude and proceeds to lay on top of her until patrol arrives. This must be a hallway. They must be in apartments or something, and this is like a hallway to the doors. Why would they have security footage in a hallway of their own home? Anyway, later, authorities determined that Jeffrey, 46, used a knife to decapitate his mother. The prosecutor's office said he's charged with murder, possession of a weapon for an unlawful purpose, an unlawful possession of a weapon, and that he's, quote, in police custody at a secure medical facility. Now, I I don't, I guess I can't really say that he isn't bipolar. You know, he's shouting what his diagnosis is. Would this happen during, like, a manic episode, an extreme manic episode? Um, can there be some kind of level of psychosis in that aspect? There can be. There can be. I don't know why, but this one really kind of stuck out to me, maybe because he did something to his mom. Anyway, now this one I've been waiting to tell you guys. I have, because I kind of gather these throughout the week, right? But this one I've been, I wish I could have found the original article because it went into much greater detail, but this is what I could find. It comes from people.com. Title reads, former family vlogger Ruby Frankie pleads guilty to child abuse. Ruby Frankie pleaded guilty to four counts of child abuse on Monday after initially being charged with six. Disgraced family YouTuber Ruby Frank Frankie pleaded guilty Monday to four counts of child abuse, according to multiple reports. The New York Times, NBC News, and CBS News report that Frankie pleaded guilty to aggravated child abuse and will be sentenced in January. As part of a plea deal, Frankie pleaded to four counts rather than the six she was initially charged with, according to the reports which cited prosecutors. Frankie was arrested, along with her podcasting partner, Jody Hildebrandt, in August after Frankie's 12-year-old son allegedly escaped Hildebrandt's home in late August and went to a neighbor to ask for food and water, police said at the time in a statement. And guys... If you've heard that 911 call where the neighbor called after that boy showed up to his house, if you hear the anguish in this man's voice and hear him get choked up, you cannot imagine how bad this kid actually looked. Okay, a neighbor who called 911, this is a neighbor to Jody Hildebrandt, told authorities that the boy looked emaciated and was covered in wounds. Frankie and her husband, Kevin, rose to prominence through their YouTube channel, Eight Passengers, which portrayed their strict parenting style and generated more than 2 million followers. The channel, which was started in 2015, was eventually shut down by YouTube following her arrest. 
Frankie's lawyers previously signaled in a statement reported by People that she intended to plead guilty in court Monday. Frankie, quote, found herself in this challenging path under the influence of Miss Hildebrandt and said that she was led astray. Frankie's attorney claimed in the statement, I call utter and complete and total fucking bullshit. Okay? I'm sorry, but laying your hands on kids in any kind of anger or, or disciplining them to the point that you're even leaving marks on their bodies is absolutely, unequivocally unacceptable. Unacceptable. And I don't want to hear, well, Jody poisoned my brain. Well, she got in my head. Those are your kids. Those are your children. I don't want to hear it. I don't feel one drop of sympathy for that woman. I digress. The statement also called Frankie a devoted mother who fell under Hildebrand's influence. Shut up. Quote, initially, Miss Frankie believed that Jody Hildebrandt had the insight to offer a path to continual improvement, the statement claimed. Miss Hildebrandt took advantage of this quest and twisted it into something heinous. Over an extended period, Miss Hildebrandt systematically isolated Ruby Frankie from her extended family, older children, and her husband, Kevin Frankie. That I agree with. This prolonged isolation resulted in Miss Frankie being subjected to a distorted sense of morality shaped by Miss Hildebrandt's influence. That I don't agree with. Frankie will remain in jail until her sentencing in January, the outlets reported, citing prosecutors. The sentencing will be left up to the judge and prison time is possible, CBS News reported, citing Frankie's attorney and Kevin Frankie filed for divorce last month. Do not sit here and tell me uh, prison time is possible. Prison time had better happen. This woman needs to be in jail for um, harming her children and then allowing this woman to also harm her children, period, firm period. Miss Frankie needs to take a firm seat in prison and I hope that the other mothers pay her a visit in prison, but I'm not gonna wish bad things. Anyway, I really want to find the article that I found talking about what she's been charged with, like what the evidence shows. So hang on a second. So we're going to go ahead and take a side quest. I paused recording and I found an article. It's not the one I had, but I found one. We're going to do this together. It's a side quest. It's a sidebar. This is not on my list that I put together, but here we go. Coming from BuzzFeedNews.com. The title reads, here's a breakdown of the horrific new details from YouTuber Ruby Frankie's child abuse case after she pleaded guilty to four counts, four felony counts. According to a new plea agreement, the mom of six admitted to kicking her youngest son while wearing boots, holding his head underwater, denying him sufficient food, punishing him for drinking water, and more. Yep, here you go. Should I give a trigger warning? Should I give a disclaimer? Disclaimer? I probably should. Okay. Uh, let's see. So the article goes on to say Ruby's videos had sparked controversy. These are the YouTube videos. Stop giving me pop-ups. Multiple times over the years that her channel was live. One of their most controversial moments involved banning their eldest son, Chad, from his bedroom for seven months for pranking seven months for pranking his younger brother. 
Ruby also once casually revealed that she'd refused to drop lunch at school for their then six-year-old Eve after the little girl had forgotten it. Okay. Uh, the little boy was found, so this is the youngest son, was found emaciated and malnourished with open wounds and duct tape around his extremities. And upon further investigation, cops found another one of Ruby's children who was also malnourished at Jody's house. So this is the youngest, youngest daughter. Um, it says in Utah, where Ruby is situated, second degree aggravated child abuse can be charged if the defendant intentionally or knowingly inflicts serious physical injury upon a child each charge carries a sentence of 1 to 15 years in prison meaning that ruby could serve between 4 and 60 years her sentencing hearing is currently set to take place in february of 2024 so two months at one point ruby purportedly said quote with my deepest regret and sorrow for my family and my children guilty end quote According to her public plea agreement, which reveals horrific new details of the abuse that her children endured, Ruby admits that she tortured, she admits that she tortured her 12-year-old son between May 2023 and August 2023 by forcing him to do physical tasks for hours and days at a time, such as wall sits and carrying boxes full of books up and down the stairs. The little boy was also made to work outside without shoes in the summer heat. And this is the summer Utah heat. This is like not a joke. Without shoes. Forced to remain outside at all hours of the day and night for extended periods of time. Per the plea agreement, this resulted in the young child suffering repeated and serious sunburns that blistered. The agreement later states that the child was denied adequate water and sufficient food and was punished when he was caught drinking water in secret. He was also isolated from other people and denied all forms of entertainment, including electronics and books. I'm scrolling through this and there's so many pictures of Ruby smiling all happy and innocently and it just makes me want to punch her through the phone. In July, the young child attempted to run away. The plea agreement states that afterwards, he was forced to have his hands and feet regularly bound, sometimes with rope and handcuffs that cut into his skin. Per the plea agreement, Ruby also admitted to kicking her young son while wearing boots, holding his head under water, and cutting off his oxygen by placing her hands over his nose and mouth. Ruby purportedly tried to convince the little boy that he was evil and possessed and that he needed to repent to willingly be obedient in order to avoid the necessary quote-unquote punishments. The agreement also states that the child was told that what was being done to him were acts of love. Ruby also reportedly admitted to physically abusing her nine-year-old daughter, who, according to the plea agreement, was also isolated and forced to do physical tasks, denied food and water, and repeatedly told that she was evil and possessed. Ruby caused both children severe emotional harm. And that's kind of the end of that article, but you get the gist. There was something also along, along the lines of, like, when they would get really bad sunburn or if they would have some kind of injury from the punishments, like maybe from the handcuffs or what have you, and they had injuries to their skin, that they would put cayenne pepper on it, on the wounds, on children. Cayenne pepper in the wounds. Maybe I need to do something go to jail. Where is she in jail in Utah? 
Hmm. I'm kidding. I'm mostly kidding. Okay, and then our last article of the day comes from fox2detroit.com. Title reads, Michigan man arrested in connection with 1980 cold case murder. So coming out of St. Clair County, Michigan, a break in a 43-year murder case led to the arrest of a Michigan man, Douglas Laming, 70, a Fort, I can't pronounce that, is facing charges in connection with the 1980 murder of 21-year-old Karen Umphrey. Her body was found by two hunters in the state game area in Beards Hills on the morning of November 2nd, 1980. And she's gorgeous. She looks like a Bundy victim, right? So it's like the super dark hair parted down the middle, smiling, innocent, happy, pretty girl. The St. Clair County Sheriff's Office worked with Michigan State Police and Othram, a company specializing in forensic genetic genealogy. This is the second or third time we've brought this company up today to solve the crime. Advancements in DNA and forensic genetic genealogy led investigators to Laming Lamming. They then spoke to people who knew Lamming and Umphrey more than 40 years ago as they gathered information and made connections. Quote, we received new information technology that could use the samples of DNA that was collected and match it with other known DNA samples on file. The DNA swab was collected as we had a search warrant for his DNA, end quote. Investigators soon learned there was a match. Laming was taken into custody on December 15th for first-degree murder. A request for bond was denied. Details surrounding how Laming came into contact with Umphrey remain unclear. The investigation is ongoing. Laming is being held at the St. Clair County Detention and Intervention Center. A probable cause conference is set for December 26th. So my thing is, that's the last one, but you know, it's kind of thoughts, right? So my thing is, this was 40 years ago, right? So he's an old man. She was a beautiful young girl. I don't know how young she was. It's 43 years ago. So Douglas was 33, and I know she wasn't that old. No, she was 21. It says right here, I apologize, 1980 murder of 21-year-old Karen Humphrey. So what really sucks about this is that he killed her and he got away with it for 43 years. He lived a whole life, you know, two generations could have come out of the time between when he murdered her and when he was arrested. And, and I understand that, you know, back in 1980, when this happened, that we didn't have the, the DNA profiling, we didn't have all this genetic stuff. And I understand that. But it just makes me sad to think that he was able to just go on and have a whole life like that, like the Golden State Killer, too. It just that kind of stuff bothers me. I know it can't be helped, but that's the stuff that really sticks in my mind when I read these articles is that he got to live a whole lifetime knowing what he did and just got away with it. And he's getting put in jail. He's 70 years old. You know, what? what's the punishment he's going to get at 70 that his health is going to be completely taken care of, probably get a new set of teeth, you know, all of his medical stuff taken care of, three squares and a cot, books and everything else while he dies. It's like upscale retirement home, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure I know prison's not like that. I just get kind of salty about this stuff. I apologize. But that's it. So we've made it through another year. This is Christmas morning for a chunk of us. Um, 
And for the rest of you, I just hope you have a really, really good Monday. Um, we've made it through a holiday season. I certainly hope that each and every one of you listened to Mummy and was very, very nice to your customer service people. Sorry for the thumping. My freaking cat's walking over stuff. But anyway, we, we, I hope that you guys were kind and did random acts of kindness. I hope that you have some family, friends, loved ones that you could be with during these holidays. But if you don't, I care. And us and our little murder family, our little heathen family, our little serial killing a podcast fam, if you will, we all care about each other. I see that quite plainly, even in the the uh, fan page that was created for me on Facebook. I'm seeing some camaraderie. It makes me really happy to see it. So just know that we're all in this together. Have a good work week if you have to work. Um, be kind to your kids. Give them a little extra squeeze on behalf of uh, Ruby Frankie's children who were tortured by their own mother. And then she's going to blame Jody Hildebrandt for her own torturing of her own kids. That woman can eat shit. I apologize for the profanity. So have a good week, guys. I love you so much. Bye.